Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in, thanks for listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast, Ali Maxwell and George Ellick talking all things EFL, coming to you from Dublin, George, Ireland. Dublin. Yeah, and we're enjoying ourselves. Loving, yeah, loving it here. I'm a big fan of Ireland, have been for a while and uh, it's (laughs) nice uh, to come over here. It's really very cold, um, but we're getting out on the golf course tomorrow morning um, we're going to have a couple of, of Guinness this afternoon and it's just it's a nice place to be on a Monday so good a, stuff a brief getaway I think from us was was needed after a busy start to the year but a very good start to the year and after the launch of our new podcast going up going down last week which seems to have gone down well so firstly thank you to everyone who tuned into that uh, it's being hosted over on its own feed going up going down it's available on all the podcast uh, platforms and apps uh, but we did repost it on this feed so hopefully some of you gave it a go really nice feedback so far guys if anyone's got anything critical then please do get in touch as well because we do want to uh, improve the pod we're sure it will improve over the next few weeks but we wanted to produce something different to what we do on a Monday what we do on the betting show and we think we've done that with those extra new features Uh, But any suggestions, very, very welcome as we look to record episode two at the back end of this week. So stay tuned on Thursday for that. Uh, It was a reduced slate of EFL fixtures because of the FA Cup. Uh, We will touch on the game in the championship, though, George, because not only was it an interesting game, an entertaining game, Stoke to Swansea nil, uh, but we we, we had a uh, a bit of tastiness. With a goal celebration from Sam Klukas, which was sort of the, the Skybet Championship version of Emmanuel Adebayor against Arsenal all those years ago. Uh, but also, we've got a Stoke team in pretty good form, George, under Michael O'Neill, starting 2020 with three wins and a draw so far in the league. Yeah, all credit to them as well. Um, Michael O'Neill has certainly uh, done something that both Gary Rowett and Nathan Jones didn't do where he has managed to get this set of players um, he's managed to find an 11 who are willing to play for him who are picking up points fairly regularly and we've spoken before on you know on the pod about a, a wave maybe of, of managers in the championship looking to kind of counteract the uh, in vogue passing game that we're seeing with most teams playing uh, Sabri Lamucci's done it very well at Nottingham Forest Gary Monk has done it um, in the early stages of his tenure at Sheffield Wednesday and I think that Michael O'Neill is starting to do it now at Stoke as well um, it feels slightly insane to say that a side who spent so much money bringing in such you know you know these technical footballers are going to now be coached in a way that looks to counteract uh, a high possession game but you look at the, the names that are starting week in week out for the Stoke team it's not necessarily those ones it's not the, the fancy ones who are, who are key to this I mean Lindsay and, and, and Danny Bat being the two centre centre-backs given the amount of churn they've had of centre-backs over the last 18 months uh, it's fairly significant and and, and Klukas and Allen being the two in the middle uh, I have a lot of time for Sam Klukas' celebration I think that um, as footballers you are obviously very privileged to be in the position that you're in but too often we don't see them uh, showing their emotions enough and I think that anyone showing their emotions in that way is absolutely fine and, um, and you know, I, I hope that Swansea fans who didn't appreciate it will show Sam Klukas that when they next meet each other um, I mean a couple of things just to mention in terms of, of not getting carried away Matt Grimes hit the bar uh, with a brilliant free kick which would have levelled up the game um, Gwehi's mistake obviously led to the second goal 
so maybe a little bit of gloss here. And you know, whilst uh, you know, big credit to Stoke for the run that they're on at the moment. Uh, if I was a Swansea fan, you can look at this and say maybe a touch unlucky. But in terms of Stoke going forward, uh, clearly easy to say this on the back of a good run, three wins and a draw, as I said to start the year. But they are, you know, only one place outside the relegation spots at the moment. But I think the, the the sort of pervading feeling, George, is that we wouldn't expect them to get any closer to the relegation zone, more likely to, to move away from it. So, so bad news, would you say, for the teams down the bottom that Michael O'Neill is, as you say, getting more of a tune out of this side than previous managers? Yeah, it definitely is. But then at the same time, you can't fall into the trap like we did with Danny Cowley and Huddersfield a couple of months ago, where because they've had a, a good run of six or seven games, that doesn't mean that run's going to continue. It wouldn't be... Stoke's performance level in the championship has been low now for, for 18 months. So the notion that they're suddenly going to be a team picking up you know two points a game because of the new manager is, is probably pretty fanciful. I think it's probably more likely that we'll see something of a regression from this stage. But of course, in terms of getting points on the board, for Stoke fans and for Michael O'Neill to put the run together that they have done has been crucial. They're now seven points clear of Barnsley. And you think the Barnsley are going to have to go on some run to, to sort this out. And, and, we, and the other good thing when we're, when we're trying to project future performance, something that we use to help us with that is, of course, that the underlying numbers, expected goals, expected goal ratio. Stoke stacking up very well uh, in this regard in the last eight matches, the third best XG ratio in the championship per the Fox Punter ratings that we are uh, provided with, uh, predicated on good defensive numbers, uh, one of the best around in terms of defence, but also chance creation, and crucially compared to the start of the season, conversion, where, as we banged on about at the start of the campaign, it's not necessarily that in terms of, create, they're not creating way more chances, they're not conceding way fewer chances, uh, but Butland seems to have, have, have found a rhythm, uh, stopped chucking them in uh, and up front that that uh, that front line whether it's Vokes whether it's Gregory whether it's Campbell they do offer varied goal threats and the finishing is coming a little easier for them so look expected Kilns who is a Stoke fan who we follow on Twitter that we uh, respect very much uh, asked about this um, basically he said more confident more cohesive that seems to be how people are talking about this Michael O'Neill Stoke renaissance we were told he was an exceptional man manager and it feels like on that level, he has made an initial impact at the club. And, and that's really positive for them uh, going forward. Great to see Nick Powell as well, uh, playing some minutes in the last few games, playing well. Uh, a couple of really eye-catching, creative passes he's made in the last few weeks. And that is probably something that they, they have been lacking as well. There were times this season with Tom Ince playing at the tip of a diamond. And pretty much anyone, I think, who knows Tom Ince's game would suggest that that's not necessarily the place to get the best out of him. So, really positive stuff. Also in the Championship, George, just a bit of transfer news. It feels like we've been speaking a lot about Patrick Bamford and Leeds's search for a striker to, at the very least, challenge him, but possibly replace him in their run uh, towards the end of the season. They have made a signing, Jean-Kevin Augustin. Now, I think you probably would have seen him a little more than me, but also from from the point of view of people I follow on Twitter who seem to know their stuff with the Euro leagues, this is one to get pretty excited about. You know, give them it's a January signing. You're often shopping in the in the bargain bucket, or you're trying to get guys in who 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 you know maybe easily cast aside by their club. But Augustin seems like a talent. Yeah, he does. I mean, we can't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I'm an expert on a guy who 
um, has played all his football on the continent. But what we can say is that we've spoken to people and I've seen reports of people who know a lot about him who I think always the um, measure of a of a signing, maybe especially at championship level, is uh, when people are very surprised to see that he's dropped to that level. Yeah. Um, I've seen one or two people saying that six months ago it was highly likely that he was going to be Timo Werner's replacement when Werner um, eventually moves on, which you'd think would probably happen in the summer. Mm. For whatever reason, the move to Monaco hasn't worked. There's talk about um, an attitude problem, both within the national youth team setup and also at Monaco itself. But um, I have... You know, the, way I, the way I think about this is if he does have an attitude problem at Leeds it's going to matter less than anywhere else because yeah. his attitude stinks he's just not going to be featuring at all I was about to say how often have we heard anything about attitudes being a problem at Leeds in the last 18 months mm. since Bielsa's in charge it's, he, 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 there's almost no scope for it as you say when Bielsa is the manager because he, he just has his such a specific way of doing things and really gives short thrift to anything like that they've also signed uh, Poveda who's a really uh, well known in the youth game, uh, still a young player. They've picked him up from Manchester City. Uh, his contract was coming up, and and for whatever reason, he wasn't signing another one. This is a guy who's played uh, youth football at a very high level. Has spent time over at Barcelona. Another player who just has that murmuring of of you know poor character or difficult character, which I always think is quite it's quite a tough thing to to label someone so young. Um, so, you know, n- certainly no judgment here, but again, an exciting attacking player. Someone suggested to us, George Smiley on Twitter, <laughs> suggested that I might be moving from Bamford Island to Augustin Archipelago. Uh, but actually, at the moment, I think Bamford will keep his place, certainly for the midweek game against Millwall. I would not be surprised to see him score a couple there and, and really confuse the issue here. But exciting times for Leeds fans who are getting a little bit twitchy about the lack of transfer business. Also, the only the notable signing uh, this week, apart from that, for me, was Barnsley, who bought a 29-year-old, which is almost unheard of for this Barnsley side over the last few years. But uh, you could see why Struber, having made an encouraging start, having picked up points to the point where Barnsley don't look doomed anymore, but still have a lot of work to do to stay up, you can understand why the club might have slightly softened its stance on... Uh, the ages of players they brought in. Michael Solbauer has joined to bolster the central defensive ranks, which I think was the most obvious uh, improvement needed uh, of all time. George, uh, in terms of the championship, there's one other thing we want to just touch on because it's a piece in The Athletic, our sponsors, partners, etc. Uh, it was by Phil Hay and Matt Slater, who's really the, the sort of crack uh, investigative journalist uh, with The Athletic. And uh, it was about a couple of things, really. The title is EFL clubs feel standard of refereeing has slipped, but they're unlikely to bring in VAR. I think it's probably worth us just amplifying this because people might not have seen this, people who don't subscribe to The Athletic, but there's going to be calls for VAR to be introduced into the championship. Phil Hay and Matt Slater saying very unlikely at this stage. Yes, and the example that both Phil and Matt use in terms of kind of the championship at the top end of the piece is um, talking about how the EFL has, has asked clubs not to banter each other off on uh, on social media and yet after Naki Wells uh, kind of double handled it on his way to scoring the winner against Leeds they posted a video of, of Wells looking at Twitter watching his goal with a caption no VAR no problem um, you and I have said before that we 
uh, have no intention of ever talking about VAR and if VAR is ever introduced into the EFL we'll probably stop doing what we're doing um, and this is we're making an exception for it here because it's an important piece and well it's good news for us as well yeah it is good news because it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening and you know it talks in the article I mean I guess it's Phil's influence of course um, you know someone whose connections to Leeds United are as close to any kind of local journalist to their club and he talks about the, the poor decisions that Leeds have had to endure so far this season that VAR would have overturned um, and that is all well and good, but I, I just think that any Leeds fans who agree with the idea that this means that VAR should be introduced um, need to understand what exactly they'll be asking for, because uh, there isn't a, a campaign against any side that, you know, over time, if, if Leeds have had three decisions um, that VAR would have overturned, VAR would have overturned, then the chance are they'll probably go up now three years without one. Um, so, I mean, the piece itself is interesting as well to about Keith Hackett, who's a former um, referee and how critical he is of, of, of championship referees and how the referees themselves, in his opinion, are getting worse. I don't think I necessarily buy into that at all. Uh, in my experience of being an Oxford fan, uh, 10 or so years ago, I used to get really wound up about how bad referees were and how much impacted games. And now, I just, given what's happening in the Premier League, I'm just so happy we don't have that. And it doesn't take too long to get over the frustrations and, and the football that we, that we as we know it and the football that we get to see um, is so much better than the product that you and I saw at, at St James's Park on Saturday, where Newcastle scored two disallowed goals, mm. um, or at least you know the, the flag went up, and those should be two pretty euphoric moments in the match. But straight away, you're you know you're struck with fear about what's about to happen afterwards. So uh, it's an important piece, and as you say, it's, it's good news for us. But I would say that it comes with some slight concerns and some undertones that um, whilst there's no desire at the moment for it to be introduced there are probably some people within clubs in pretty senior positions who would like to see it yes thankfully i think and look this is our stance on var we'd be interested to hear from you guys at ntt20 pod on twitter if any of you are pro var in the championship please do get in touch because uh well i was about to say it's an interesting topic of discussion it's one of our least favorite topics of discussion but it's always interesting to hear other viewpoints we're both very anti-var in the championship um I can't see how it could feasibly happen just in terms of the actual technicalities of it, just in terms of the resources needed, the amount of extra, essentially, bodies, extra officials that you need, um, the infrastructure that would need to be in place in order to have the correct camera angles that the Premier League have pretty much 20 cameras at every single game, maybe more now. Uh, The Championship have four cameras at every game, so only four angles potentially, and they don't cover every single part of the pitch really um for, for which which you kind of need for this sort of thing um and you know it that's happened at great expense over the summer that's only happened this summer that four cameras have been in the championship so i can't imagine they're going to be getting up to 20 cameras or anything near the amount that you'd need to to be very clear that that it would improve things then there's the extra resources of personnel the expansion of uh of stockley park itself where the referees are based um, the, the, the VAR trucks that would need to be outside each ground I, I find it very very difficult to believe that even with uh, some, some key figures at key clubs asking for it that it's realistic at all so go and read the piece because there's plenty about refereeing standards as well outside of VAR Phil Hay and Matt Slater for The Athletic uh, if you haven't signed up to The Athletic and you'd like to do so then theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 is a good code because 
50% off the annual subscription and a seven-day free trial as well. So wow. give that a dig. Give yes. that a dig because it's not just Phil Hay and Matt Slater, but it's plenty of others as well. George, League One, we previewed the big game or what we considered to be the big game in League One. And it certainly played out to be the most interesting game as well between Peterborough and Rotherham. There were four drawn games out of six. And then Ipswich is 1-0 at home to Lincoln with a goal from a set-piece. And thankfully, what would have been quite a poor League One weekend otherwise was saved by a really interesting game uh, at London Road and one that Posh, who'd been on a really poor run until a midweek win against Wickham before this one, ended Rotherham's five-game winning streak and did so, I think, in pretty uh, pretty impressive fashion, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this feels like a, a really big moment in the League One promotion race, where not only have you got the leaders, Rotherham, who were starting to really kind of not get away from the pack, but the performance and result against Bristol Rovers after they hit the top suggested there might be a team who were going to go and kick on. Um, I mean, I cannot believe looking at the league table that Ipswich are top again, but we'll get on to that in a second. Um, but for both Rotherham to drop points in this fashion, for them to be dislodged at the top end of the, of the table, but also for Peterborough, a side who you know, completely lost any kind of form they've built up in the early part of the season, um, both as a team and certain individuals as well. Uh, for them to score six goals to just one against two teams, against teams who at the time they played them were second and first, mm. uh, has really put the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of the playoff race again, where now you've got a, a bang in form Peterborough side who have played more games than anyone else in the league, but have the points on the board now with, with what is it, 43 from 28 to suggest they're going to be playing a big part in that uh, in that race as well. And my side, Oxford United, having been you know second two weeks ago, suddenly find themselves outside the playoff places at all. It's, it feels that one result, the, you know, the posh picking up another three points, Brotherham dropping points, the teams around them winning, winning seems to have flipped the whole thing on its head. And I think what stood out to me when it comes to Peterborough is how I wasn't going to overreact personally to a 4-0 win against Wickham in midweek when Wickham went down to 10 men uh, in controversial fashion early on in that game. Um, but what was notable is that they'd switched formation at that stage, that the diamond was not working at all. The fans were getting pretty irate about the whole affair. Switched to the, the, the three at the back with wing-backs, two central midfield players, at Smodix at the tip of, the, of, of that midfield, and then Tony and Dembele up front. And it sort of feels like they've put on a, a new outfit, a new, a, a new skin, I suppose. Uh, and, and so far, the, the early results have been really good. It's not just the goals that they've scored, but the way that those goals have looked uh, in the early part of the campaign... We spoke so much about the individual quality of Madison, of Issa and of Tony, but it kind of felt like they were they were two teams, Peterborough. It was like those three and then the eight behind them who were not necessarily excelling and potentially weren't even, didn't really, it didn't feel very cohesive. But the goal they scored, the second goal on the weekend was absolutely beautiful. Um, a lot of good play, a lot of one-touch passing, uh, a, a great ball through to Smodix who finished really, really well. Uh, Madison, notable for his absence in the last few weeks, hasn't been missed at all because Smodix has come in and we knew that he was a, a goal-scoring number 10. But it turns out that has translated to League One level, even if it even if he never got a chance with Bristol City. Um, he had a, he's had loads of dangerous opportunities before he got on the score sheet and then played brilliantly on the weekend. Um, Tony is playing up front with Siriki Dembele, so there's another change. Issa, unused sub in this one, and Dem- Dembele really skillful, more of a wide player, but you can see how 
with him playing up front with Tony, he he has real license to, to, to drift wide, to pick up the ball, take men on. And because Smodix is such a goal threat through the middle arriving late, uh, they have still got that presence in the box. We haven't, George, even spoken about Tony yet, but we were absolutely purring watching him play uh, both in midweek and also on the weekend. Uh, it's becoming clearer and clearer that this is a guy we're going to be talking about a lot, certainly as a championship footballer, <laughs> sooner rather than later. Yeah, or higher, I'd have thought. I mean, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if we're not talking about him at all next season. If if a you know a side such as, when we spoke about Leeds' new signing, I mean, mm. that's the kind of signing you'd think for them um, could be a really good fit into their system and the way they play because he is a striker who is a massive goal threat. He's so, so good in the six-yard box, but he also is a very talented footballer. He can hold the ball up well. He's very dominant in the air. Uh, he's just got everything all kind of facets of his game are just so so strong and it's it's interesting to think that you know four or so weeks into the season him and Isa neck and neck and it kind of felt like there were two players on a level playing field and, and Ivan Tony's proven why Peterborough fans and why people high up at the club have held him in such high regard for so long it's interesting about Dembele though because I wrote a piece for, for The Athletic in October about Isa about Tony and Madison and the goals they were scoring and I was able, therefore, to ask a few questions to the manager, Darren Ferguson, and to the owner, um, Darren McAntony. And both of them spoke about Dembele and pointed out that he was kind of the fourth, the forgotten man mm. of, their, of their front line, purely because the other, the other three were playing so well, he wasn't really getting a chance. And Darren McAntony, he said very vocally on Twitter that he's a player, he's another one of his assets that he values well into the millions of pounds, mm. so high that an amount that no manager is currently going to want to buy a player for that much but then because he understands the value more we're starting to see now because of a, a lack of form uh, of Issa because of Madison's uh, speculation over his future now Dembele is getting his chance to prove his worth and he's doing it very very well and it just seems crazy very Peterborough I must say but crazy that we had a front three that was so good it was getting national press attention mm. and then three months later only one of them is now playing it's <laughs> yeah. just bonkers but uh, but that is the club Siriki of course brother of Karamoko Dembele uh, very much this week's viral picture on football Twitter from what I've seen anyway uh, he is playing for Celtic came off the bench on the weekend I think 16 year old he is about 5 foot 5 maybe uh, there's a great picture of him standing next to his teammate uh, Julien where he is just absolutely towering over Dembele but uh, an exciting few weeks I would suggest for the Dembele family good weekend as well for Ipswich Town uh, they beat Lincoln 1-0 uh, regular listeners to the betting show might have uh, released uh, something of a of a grin something of a giggle when they saw that it was Luke Wolfenden who scored first uh, and the final score 1-0 that having been uh, George and I's joint bonus selection at about 250 to 1 last week when it didn't come in. So congrats to them. I think what's notable about Ipswich's good run of form is getting back to what they had at the beginning of the season, which was a resoluteness at the back, a great defensive record. They haven't conceded more than one goal in a game uh, in their last five since that 5-3 defeat against Lincoln. And look, they are certainly not free-flowing going forward. Uh, we saw that game against Accrington where they played really, really well and created a lot of chances. But generally, they still are not elite in that area at this level, Ipswich. So keeping things tight at the back is very necessary if they're going to stay uh, where they are. And what do we say? Yeah, four draws elsewhere. So we're not going to go through those games in League One. The only really notable thing from that group of games is the Accrington goalkeeper, Joe Bursick, who is on loan from Stoke. 
He's an England uh, youth goalkeeper. I forget which of the youth levels, but he's always been part of the England youth setups as a, a bright young goalkeeper. And I actually genuinely feel like this is a little bit Truman Show for me, George, because I did a podcast for The Athletic last week, the Zonal Marking podcast. We spoke about goal-scoring goalkeepers, and it wasn't like you know when you've gone up for a corner and headed one in late on. Or, Jimmy Glass. Yeah, we're not talking Jimmy Glass. We're not talking... Uh, who was it? was it Ben Foster who took a long goal kick that bounced over someone? Or maybe Paul Robinson, actually? Or Foster was definitely involved. We're talking about like Schillever, Rogerio Senni, all these guys who, who racked up the goals from taking set pieces. And we talked about how in the modern game, especially in England and mostly the rest of Europe, you know, things are taken too seriously. The risks are deemed too big to allow your goalkeeper to take a direct free kick and have a go. But then, as soon as we did the podcast, like as soon as we recorded it, that night, uh, Bursic took a free kick um, for Accrington in the leasing.com. And then he's done it again on the weekend. Um, technique looks pretty good. Uh, the first one went over the bar. The second one, I think, so it hit the wall oh. on the weekend. Uh, so I, far. I hope, I hope he's not going to get, you know, because they haven't. I want him to kind of force a good save or something, just yeah. a bit of hope, because it was a bit of a shame to see him stepping up and just kind of walloping it into the wall. I mean, like, is John Coleman, is he just having a bit of banter? Has he just gone like, right, we're probably not going to go up this season, but I think we've got enough to not get relegated, so let's just, like, start doing something completely out of the blue. Because, yeah. like, obviously the romantic in me wants to see this happen more and more, because clearly this is an entertainment... This, this is entertainment for us, and what's more entertaining than goalies taking free kicks, right? But then, like, com- I wouldn't let that happen if I was a manager. The risks are, like, quite big is if there, you lose the ball. Is there not also, like, a... Yeah, exactly. If you're now playing Accrington, you're saying to your fastest player, if they get a free kick, get on that halfway line, and then everyone else, just send it long and try and find them. Because, exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, we can't wait to to uh, to see how this goes. We'll keep you updated, but... That was just in case you guys hadn't seen that. Make sure you search for it on Twitter. You can let us know what you think. Uh, Also, League One teams did have a good weekend in the FA Cup. Uh, One of them, Oxford United. We were at the game at St James's Park. Nil-nil draw with Newcastle. It was a a strange feeling at full time for you, George, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Oxford have got a really good record in cups in the last few years, have taken on and beaten a fair few Premier League teams. And this game against Newcastle... I don't know if you're just used to it now, but like, it, it was fairly even, and there was almost a feeling of of could have had a bit more at the final whistle, even though, you know, ostensibly on the face of it, this is a great coup for Oxford to take a Premier League team back to the cast for a replay. Yeah, I, th- I think now I've had time to think about it, and um, you know, I'm, I'm more upbeat about it than I was after the game. I think the issue was was that the first half, Newcastle were the better team, and had the better chances and looked the more likely to score. Oxford were very well set up, but realistically no no better than organised. Second half was a completely different game and Oxford created most of the chances and I would say as the half went on, grew more and more into the ascendancy. Um, Newcastle only really troubled Oxford twice, both of which times they put the ball in the back of the net, but it doesn't really matter if Joel Linton is a couple of yards offside when, mm-hmm. when he does it. So I think because of, you know, game state almost affected my mood, where I just felt like if we'd carried on playing for another 10 minutes, yeah. then we probably would have fashioned more chances and probably would have won the game. Um, Marcus Brown had the best chance of the match, where he um, did very well to get one-on-one and kind of scuffed his shot at Carl Darlow. Uh, Nathan Holland hit a very good 
shot with his left foot, which was well saved. I mean, a very easy save, but saved. It was great to see. And, you know, yeah, as a fan, I'm looking forward to the replay because I have a feeling we might give another good account of ourselves. I don't think the Newcastle fans are going to have as good a night out in Oxford as we did (laughs) in Newcastle on Saturday night after that game. Um, But we won't dwell too much on that. Look, I mean, the real... The real winners, I guess, ironically, given that it was another draw and another replay on the horizon. But Shrewsbury Town, uh, really, they they were the, they really captured the hearts of, of everyone uh, this weekend when it came to FA Cup action. Uh, it was the Sunday evening game under the lights and 2-0 down to Liverpool. Uh, the first goal, a well-taken goal from that young lad, Curtis Jones, who looks very good. And then one of the more... Unusual own goals you're likely to see. Poor Donald Love uh, just slotting home under very little pressure. Uh, And it it kind of felt like that was going to be that. This is a Shrewsbury team, right, that haven't scored more than one goal in their league games in 20 of 25 league games. They're pretty much the worst attacking team in League One. And they often seem to play within themselves going forward, not committing too many players and lacking a bit of creativity. But in the second half, George, they... They genuinely, each time they attacked, it felt like they did so with a plan, like either patiently to create an opening or direct when they needed to, to exploit a bit of space. And they really did cause Liverpool problems. And then Cummings, a guy that we know can finish chances, but who, for whatever reason, has struggled over the last few years to real nail down a space, a spot, anywhere, whether it was posh, forest... Luton and and now Shrewsbury to an extent. Yeah, fair play to the cum dog, um, but I think that he he's someone who, as you say, is I think he struggled to find a home. Mm. Basically, his his raw ability has never really been in doubt. Um, but uh, except for kind of a fleeting early um, run of goals at posh, he's never really done much consistently. And it, and it does feel like maybe Sam Ricketts is managing him quite well at Shrewsbury, and. Days like yesterday, um, you know, he'll now he's now part of Shrewsbury Town history for the, forever, and nothing can change that. So fingers crossed, he can. It sounds like they, they might have a pretty good chance at Anfield as well. Yeah, and, and yeah, given the the team that Liverpool are going to play, I mean, the some interesting quotes from Sam Ricketts after the game, which you know, if 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 watching that match yesterday didn't already make me make me reassess what I think of him as a coach, then certainly the the talk afterwards did, where he said that they were very very focused on basically repeating Wolves' game plan from from Thursday night last week where they just looked to shut down the space in the middle of the park to prevent players like Fabinho getting on the ball and being able to use their passing uh, range in more advanced areas and just to look to force um, Liverpool out wide very early on. Liverpool are a side who we know, even if the personnel changes, the system is very much the same, the ethos is very much the same, the manager has a very clear style of play and, and that definitely worked. They didn't have... Liverpool didn't have control over the game. Mm. The possession they got was in wide areas and always felt fairly frantic. And it was actually Shrewsbury, if anyone, in the second half who had sustained spells of pressure. Um, so for Sam Ricketts, no matter what the team was that Jurgen Klopp put out, no matter what happens with the replay, I think he's the... the he, come, come and gets the headlines. But I think Ricketts comes out of it with massive, massive... Um, more more than disrespect. With, with some... He, he's earned... Uh, I think people to maybe give him more credit for, for, for his coaching, not necessarily his coaching style, but his in-game management, certainly, and the way that they tactically set up, and especially losing Norburn after 20 minutes. Um, yeah, really impressed. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, we, we have constantly been impressed and praised 
their defensive organisation uh, in League One this season. I guess the one thing stopping us from banging on about Ricketts more uh, is is how poor they've been in terms of, of scoring goals. So, you know, if what we saw on Sunday could be replicated more regularly in the league, then I think we are looking at a young manager that we're excited about. But that is quite a crucial part of the game to get right consistently. Um, so the, the jury's still out in that regard. Josh Laurent had an absolutely yes. unbelievable game. <laughs> um, I remember when we did a Sky hit with Steve Morrison earlier in the season. Uh, Morrison spent a few months with Shrewsbury from, from July until, I don't know, October or so. Uh, and I said to him, who who is Shrewsbury's best player? Because they're not a team with loads of stars. They're a team with some good players for League One level, especially at the back. And I was interested to hear what he said. And he said then, Laurent is fantastic. Um, I know that the fans have been really pleased with his performances this season. And, you know, he's he's had to work pretty hard to get to this point in his career. It hasn't always worked for him. Uh, notably with Wigan, uh, he got a big move from Hartlepool to Wigan uh, and never broke into that team for whatever reason. So he is going to be someone who, before that game, would have been attracting the attention of championship clubs. After that game, even more so. Uh, a real driving force in midfield. Good news for Pompey as well, who thrashed Barnsley, really. 4-2 in the end. Uh, Pompey have won their last five games in all competitions since the turn of the year. And they've only lost two of their last 20 in all comps as well. So uh, definitely a team to keep an eye on. That early season malaise really seems to have worn off, uh, which is really positive for Pompey, for Kenny Jacket, of course. We sp- we've spoken before about how when the fans really turn against you like that, it takes essentially not losing, well, only losing two in 20 uh, yeah. for them to get off your back. And, and that's an impressive turnaround, which many managers would not have been able to do. Uh, I'm putting Corley Woodrow's goal for Barnsley in a, in a new box that I've created called Absolute Stonking Goals <laughs> that are scored in cup defeats without that many people concentrating and without that many people noting them down. An absolute screamer from him. And in League Two, well, we had a much more full slate, didn't we? 11 games and some really interesting uh, talking points. We'll start at the top, I think, with Swindon beating Port Vale 3-0. I mean... It looks like a routine home win, but I want to point out that Port Vale, not an easy opponent by any stretch. They've had some notable home, uh, sorry, away results this season, and they're quite an awkward team to play at times, really tough to break down. Swindon were going to need to be at their best. Of course, all the focus was going to be on who played through the middle as the lone striker. Would it be Hallam Hope on debut? The answer was no. It was actually Kane Woolery who got the nod through the middle with Hope playing uh, out wide. Hope, however, did get a good goal on his debut. Sensational team move. The standout performer was clearly Michael Doughty. Uh, just someone whose left foot we talk about quite a lot as being uh, one of the most cultured left feet, certainly at League Two level and possibly higher up as well. He created one goal with a beautiful pass uh, inside the fullback, uh, which was then squared for Hope to tap in, but he also lit up the county ground with a sensational free kick as well. So, I mean, George, it wasn't just, you know, this was a a, a game that Swindon needed to show their fans that they weren't, well, and everyone else, that it wasn't just about Doyle and or Yates. Uh, and in that regard, it was three ticks in the box, a, a really impressive win. Yeah, some talk today that I think Swindon are confident of getting Yates back in the next couple of days on loan um, but 
certainly on Saturday, that wasn't in the pipeline. And Swindon Town fans would have gone to this game. Uh, it seems strange to say it given the top of the league, but with some trepidation because their two talisman, their two goal scorers, neither of them were at the club. And they'd brought in Hallam Hope, a player whose goal record uh, alone is certainly nothing to get excited about. So for them to take on a, a Port Vale side who, as you say, are you know by no means a an easy opposition and to outshoot them 20 shots to two uh, to beat them 3-0 to dominate the game in the way that they did uh, I think it just shows that this is a, a Swindon side where the system is so good and they are so well drilled and they know exactly how to fashion goal scoring opportunities and whilst the, you know the, the loss of Yates and, and Doyle is by no means um, it's, it's obviously going to have a negative impact on the sides maybe they're not a one-man team in that sense. Doyle's goals obviously were dominant, but it may not be just Doyle's talents that were getting them those goals. Yeah, well, Jai Simi needs a shout-out as well, um, playing quite a sort of free role behind uh, you know, behind a front man as one of those three. He completed five out of five dribbles. He gives them a little something different as well, that ability to, to ghost past a guy. Uh, and his return to fitness has been uh, really, really welcome for Swindon fans. Plymouth are into third. They beat Stevenage 2-1 uh, and it was a fairly comfortable victory, I think. And not the first time we've said that in the last few weeks. Six wins in their last seven league games. That one that they didn't win was defeat against Swindon, which is rapidly looking like Swindon's sort of best result, really, of the whole season at this rate. Uh, they've got 33 points, Plymouth, from their last 14 games in the league, which is 2.35 points per game. An absolutely sensational record, uh, and you know I'm not going to bang on about it anymore. But to me, uh, with with the the amount of excitement that Ryan Lowe appears to be able to whip up amongst fan bases uh, and amongst his squads, um, you know he left Danny Mayer out for this game, and no real problem at all. Uh, things are going very very well there. A statement win, George came from Mansfield Town. For Graham Coughlin afterwards, it felt like. He, I think he's a difficult man to please, put it that way. And his post-match interview that we saw on Quest, it, it felt like a pleased Graham Coughlin, by which I mean he, he, he was banging on about how the performances had been decent or improving for the last few weeks, but they hadn't been getting the, the results to match. Uh, this something of a statement win, thrashing Bradford 3-0 at home. Massively, massively. We, we keep talking about the promotion rivals, Bradford City, but pretty quickly they're being left behind by by Swindon and it's another blank for the aforementioned Doyle, but this is all about Mansfield. Um, what a brilliant result for them. I think they've, they've threatened since Coughlin came in um, to do this. They've had a couple of really good performances and haven't quite got over the line and they've had a couple of, of decent wins, but for their three main men, the three main strikers, uh, Rose, Maynard and Cook, to all get on the score sheet here to just kind of wipe the floor, I guess, with... Bradford side um, who only managed five shots in the game uh, it's dominant in a way that we haven't seen Mansfield really uh, we haven't seen them play like this since Flickcroft left in the summer these kind of performances and these kind of results were regular last season mm. um, and is the reason why so many had them as being such a strong team and you look through the side who played on Saturday and the personnel is, is just still so similar it's still so similar to Flickcroft's team it's still so similar to the team that we saw uh, John Dempster deploying this season as well. So, you know, I've expressed my doubts as to whether or not Graham Coughlin is uh, by any means kind of an elite coach at League One, League Two level. Um, and whilst 
you know, the jury's still definitely out. The early signs are that he's certainly an upgrade on Dempster. Um, but they've still got a, a fair way to go to catch up to where they were last season. Yeah, just listing the goal scorers, Rose, Maynard, Cook, it is a reminder of, of the players that they have at their disposal and therefore the underachievement that they've had this whole season. I mean, it's remarkable that you're talking about a division in League Two that is desperately thirsty for you know, good goal scorers. If you look at the, the top goal scorer table at the moment, it's pretty grim reading because apart from Doyle, who was taking all of the headlines, and Yates, who is now back in League One currently, Doyle, of course, uh, with Bradford, where he is struggling to score. You've only got Maynard on 12, uh, Vaughan on 11, uh, Labala on 10, and, and Bowman on 10 as well. I mean, we're, we're, some teams are like 28, 29 games into the season, and we've only got a couple of guys in double figures for goals. So in terms of goal scorers, it's not been a, a, a rich league this season league two but then you look at Mansfield with Maynard Cook and Rose and you think I mean this should be giving you a serious advantage so good for them something to keep an eye on uh, also something that we've been watching with some interest is how John Yems uh, is getting on as manager of Crawley Town because they're on some really good form at the moment and they got a well it was a bit of a topsy-turvy 3-2 win against Grimsby on the weekend. It by no means was some sort of uh, dominance, but some really eye-catching goals scored, some fantastic combination play by Ollie Palmer and Ashley Nadison up front. And, you know, the sorts of, of, of quick passing and interchanging between two strong strikers, which were finished well, which made you sort of take a second glance and, and sit up and take notice so the fact that his record in 10 league games now is three wins five draws two defeats look it doesn't absolutely leap off the page but it's enough to be uh, basically the ninth best uh, record in the, the time that he's been in charge of Crawley they've conceded 10 in 10 so improving defensively uh, and it's just good to see a manager uh, when he comes in having a positive impact on the team that's what John Yems is having at Crawley. I'd love to see some more of that from Palmer and Nadison, given that I've just slagged off the strikers in League Two. Uh, it'd be really welcome to, to have a few more emerge in the second half of the campaign. Palmer has nine, so let's see where he can get to. George, uh, Macclesfield Town, how do they keep doing it? This is a, <laughs> something, it, it seems like something of a, of a footballing miracle. I'm wary of going a bit over the top here, but we do keep scratching our heads every time we see... <clears throat> them picking up win after win yeah I don't I don't understand it um, you have to look when everything tangible <laughs> is suggesting that they shouldn't be very good you have to look at the intangibles and you have to wonder if somehow the horrible issues that are going on in Macclesfield and, and persist if in some way they are galvanising this club in a way that is making them outperform any levels that, that make any sense because this is their third manager Mark Kennedy getting his first win as Macclesfield manager. Um, they're hosting a side who have promotion aspirations and have spent a lot of money on the squad, have reinvested again in January. They were 1-0 down early on in the game. They've equalised, thought it would be a fantastic point. They've had a man sent off. And then <laughs> Arthur Ganua yeah. has whipped out just an absolute worldie, a kind of goal that is, is a once-in-a-season goal that in a moment in a match which is so important to them and could send them so much closer to safety in a league where there's just one relegation spot 
you have to wonder. Uh, Jonathan Mitchell, man of the match in goal, uh, on loan from Derby, uh, a goalkeeper that I've seen a couple of times play for my side. He never put in a performance like this when I saw him. So um, never any amazing penalty saves like that. No, absolutely not. You know, to save a penalty in this in this bonkers game, it's just this is it makes me think of those um, you know those threads on Twitter where people have kind of a, the banter years. I've said that word twice in one podcast, which is horrific. <laughs> Unlike but, you, but it is. It feels like you could make a, a thread of Macclesfield Town just matches over the last eighteen months where they have overcome adversity, overcome everything that's thrown at them, overcome massive discrepancies in terms of the financial, you know, the wage structure that they have compared to the other sides and come out on top. It's testament to them, massive testament to the, to the players and the fans and, and, the, and the backroom staff who all deserve so much better. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, on, on a more serious note, we haven't had any indication that things are moving particularly quickly in terms of... Uh, uh, well, in terms of changing ownership, it's become pretty apparent, as we've discussed a few times, that the current ownership is 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 not in the right place, is not in the right state uh, financially to be able to run this team. And there has been talk about a potential takeover, about someone who's interested, who you know purports to have the means and and have the desire. Uh, we don't know how the 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 process is going, of course. The fact that we don't know anything doesn't mean things aren't happening, but we would just like to, to reiterate, you know, we feel it's important to keep pointing it out uh, that there really hasn't been any movement on that front. It is still a situation in which uh, everyone should be very, very concerned about the future of Macclesfield and, and, and try to put pressure where we can on the people that need to, to get things done, uh, to get things done, so that we're not talking about Macclesfield each week as this miracle case of players uh, and staff sort of battling against uh, terrible work conditions and circumstances. We want to just be talking about them as a League Two team uh, on on merit, essentially, uh, and that's what we hope to to well, we hope to see really as soon as possible before things get worse. Uh, Leighton Orient got a good win at home to Newport. Uh, Rule Sotiriu with the winning goal. <laughs> now he it's quite an interesting case. He's someone that. Uh, friend of the pod, youth team expert, or just youth expert, Connor Rowden. Someone he uh, tweets about a fair bit, or has done, certainly. I don't think Connor has ever claimed he thinks that this lad is going to be an absolute superstar, but just a player that he, he has always enjoyed watching at youth level. Someone that is quite interesting. He's a, a very mobile forward player, uh, a, Cy- a Cyprus under-21 international at a young age. Uh, scored a lot of goals in non-league when he's been on various loans in non-league. He's always uh, performed well and since being recalled, he has three league goals in just over 300 minutes. So just about 100 minutes per goal, which is a very, very good record. So someone we're going to keep an, a close eye on as well. Last but not least, Carlisle United need to get some credit. Um, <laughs> they just keep doing enough to keep a, a true relegation scrap at bay, Carlisle. Uh They'll have runs where they'll go like four, five, six games without winning, putting in like pretty miserable performances quite consistently. And then just when you get concerned that they are really getting dragged into it, they'll get a win like they did uh, on the weekend, 2-1 win at home to Walsall. Uh, it's, it's amazing looking at their, their record. I was having a look on soccer stats earlier today. Against teams in the bottom half of League Two, Carlisle have won seven, drawn five, and lost one. 
against teams in the top half of League Two, three draws and nine defeats. So certainly something for punters to keep an eye on that because it's a pretty clear uh, delineation between the the top half and the bottom half when it comes to uh, Carlisle's record. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to point out as well that um, I'll use your terminology of a nice wrinkle for you. Nice. uh, That Carlisle only had seven shots in the game, three of which were Thomas 30-plus yarders. He will do that. So in terms of looking at this game from a punting point of view, as you said, uh, maybe not... Uh, you know, maybe somewhat fortunate just in terms of, of, of shot location and shot volume to, to score two goals here. A lo- I think we should. All, I think we should finish every pod talking about shot locations and shot volumes. Okay, it's very on brand. Uh, that is going to be the end of the pod this week. Uh, brought to you from a hotel room in Dublin, which is above uh, a very famous night spot. Which I think if you've visited Dublin or you know the town city well. You will know what we're talking about. Will we head there later? It's Monday night. You wouldn't think that's right for a night out. But let's see how the reaction to the pod goes down and uh, we'll see if we maybe find some energy late doors. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, It's obviously been a slightly truncated pod this week due to the, the reduced slate. Not too many championship games to discuss, but there is a full slate of EFL action in midweek. It is a big week, it's fair to say. So keep your eye on the results. Tuesday night sees Brentford hosting Nottingham Forest, which is a massive game in the championship. Um, thank you, as always, for your support. Last week, especially with the new pod, please make sure you're subscribed to the Going Up, Going Down podcast on whichever platform you use. Uh, and we hope that we'll keep improving, keep providing you with the best EFL content that we can muster. Uh, and, uh, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>